0: hello and welcome to peach pod a georgia politics podcast my name is kyle hayes and i am your host and we have the whole gang back together megan payne is here
1: hi kyle it's good to be back
0: and luke back from the wilderness the campaign wilderness the law school wilderness back with us again is luke boggs luke how are you doing
2: uh i'm doing good i'm happy for democracy that so many people are early voting it's uh fun to see some some early permissions and entrails of what we're gonna see on november 6th
0: entrails yeah
2: entrails man and I, that, like, look, that's that, about like, how reliable w- these vo- early voting data is, because some years Democrats do better, other years Republicans do better. So, I mean, it, it really feels like I'm just kind of looking, looking into the abyss uh, and not really sure what to what to take from all of it.
1: Entrails, a person or animals, intestines or internal organs, especially when removed or exposed that thank you gross. for
0: googling that because i was like that's like intestines right
1: yeah have you, have you ever also heard... the innermost okay, this parts is... of something so like I, I it's a correct usage it's just a gross one
2: there's some cultures and religions that use the entrails of animals to make predictions this is a real thing it is yeah
1: that's a... thanks for that image You're welcome.
0: So on today's show, we are going to recap the debate between Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams and Ted Metz. They took part in their first debate tonight with the Atlanta Press Club. Uh, So we are recording on Tuesday night right after the debate. You are not listening on Tuesday night, but at some time in the future. Hello, future people. But we're going to break down what happened at the debate and what we thought of the performance from each of these candidates. Um, So let's just start with your first impressions, y'all. Uh, Luke, let's start with you. What was your takeaway from tonight's debate?
2: I think my takeaway is that I don't have a takeaway, <laughs> which you know, I was expecting to have a takeaway. So that's, that's really uh, the, the main thing for me. I think I've watched like basically every single Atlanta press club debate since 2014. And I've even gone back and watched some of the archives. And I would say that this is probably like the most, Chaotic debate I've ever seen. Be and it's really and I think we'll we'll probably deride uh, the inclusion of Ted Metz all night, but I don't think that really helped the debate at all.
1: So I agree with Luke. I hate. I think having Ted Metz on there was just kind of uh, like here we can't really exclude you at this point, so I guess you can be here. Um, but he just kind of added an interesting flair to it, rather than a whole lot of um, good content. <laughs> In my opinion, also, can we talk about the fire alarm going off at the beginning? Because if ever there was a dumpster fire of a debate.
0: No, I think it was Bill Nigget that pulled the fire alarm because he hosts pretty much everything that GPB does, but he was not on the debate stage tonight. So, Bill, I th- we know it was you. Um, no, I, I was so frustrated with Ted Metz being a part of this debate. Ted Metz is polling at 1.2%. And I'm all for third parties being a part of the process. But if you are a third party candidate, you come in to any political event, a debate, a speech, whatever it is, representing the entire alternative to the two parties. And for Ted Metz to come into this debate so unprepared, and the only thing that he seemed like ready to talk about was like hemp, industrial hemp, decriminalizing marijuana on his first day in office, which I support. That's a great idea. But we didn't even get to that one good idea that he had until the very end of the debate. So I thought that Ted Metz's presence And the fact that he had to participate in the candidate Q&A to each other really detracted from what really should be a very important discussion about what Georgia's next four years are going to be like. And I'm sorry, but Ted Metz is not going to win this race. He is not going to be Georgia's next governor. And he did not deserve to be on that debate stage
1: tonight. Metz says that a vote for him is a protest vote. So it's like he's trying to force this into a runoff. um, And just all the while, kind of, he's... He's honestly like cheapening himself. He's saying that I'm the protest vote. I'm the third party. If you don't like either one of them, vote for me. But he knows he doesn't have a shot, surely. And then I thought it was interesting how he said, you know, he was, I don't remember exactly what his words were, but he basically outlined what it means to be a libertarian. And what he did say was, leave me alone. Don't tell me what to do. Don't steal my stuff. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting definition of a libertarian. I don't think it's incorrect, but I just thought it was kind of interesting on that particular stage.
2: I, I'm a little biased here, but uh, I think my mom is probably one of the nicest people I know. Uh, and and her, uh, and hopefully this can be the last word on Ted Metz. Uh, her her advice was uh, the, the third guy just needed to go home. She can't even catch his name. <laughs> Like So I think I think uh, we should do our listeners a favor and let Teg Mets go home from our mind and, and move on to uh, greener pastures. Uh, and the greener pasture I would like to move on to is, man, what a difference four years makes. In the debate in 2014, the whole thing was about education. If you ask Jason Carter any question, it would end up being about education, even if it wasn't about education. In this debate, they had to... Uh, set a specifically shorter time period for your thoughts on education
0: that I thought that was one of the more frustrating things too I mean it felt like the whole debate got sucked into who owed who money and to me neither neither Stacey Abrams debts nor Brian Kemp's debts are all that telling about what they would do if they were governor and the question around education is still open. We, um, you know, Governor Dale ran for late re-election saying that he would reform the QBE funding formula. He didn't do that. We didn't end up with some version of Jason Carter's plan in 2014, and we largely haven't. Aside from fully funding the formula, addressing some of the structural issues in the formula is something that we haven't done. In addition to a whole host of other issues in education. Um, so yeah, it was frustrating that that ended up. Being sort of one of the last points to come up and come up in that shortened question, the interesting thing that I also found from that was um the topic of education seemed to come up because Greg Bluestein asked Brian Kemp what cuts he would have to make to implement his six hundred million dollars in annual teacher raises, And this is the same question that I asked him or about the same question that I asked him when I was in Perry. And I was really frustrated by the answer that he gave me in Perry. And it seems like he hasn't figured out how to answer that question still. He just sort of admonishes other people for not doing the math and then says, we're not offering more than we can't afford. But he doesn't. Like, even acknowledge at all that there is tension between establishing a state spending cap, which is what he wants to do, and then spending $600 million on teacher raises every year. And so, I don't see anything credible in his response about how he's actually going to get the job done on that issue.
1: The only thing, somewhat substantive, he even said was that he was going to rely, or something to the effect of, he was going to rely on quote unquote natural growth, natural growth in this great economy. So, it's like he's expecting. Like I said, this is the only answer he really gave about where the money will come from. And so it's like he's expecting economic growth to cover everything.
0: Well, and the thing he doesn't understand about that is Georgia's economy grows in large part because Georgia's population is growing. And when you have a growing population, you have more kids in your schools, you have more people in your Medicaid program, you have more people overall in the state to provide services to, which means you have to spend more money every year as your economy grows. And this is what Greg brought up in that question, that his raises eat up a significant portion of sort of the average revenue growth in the state every year. And he just will not you know, he doesn't do this on anything. He's not a policy wonk. And that's frustrating to me in terms of this being like a job interview. But like, he won't engage on the details on any of these issues. And so the problem is going to come when the rubber has to meet the road and he has to pass these things into policy into law. And he gives me no confidence in his ability to do so based on what we saw on the stage tonight.
2: I don't think anyone is watching this debate or watching this campaign is going to vote for Brian Kemp because they think he is more qualified and has better ideas. I think they will vote for him because he will execute ideas that are closer to the ones that they want executing. Brian Kemp has already proven that he is not a details guy. (laughs) I mean, based on everything uh, that he's done at the Secretary of State's office. It's been a record of incompetence and a record of voter suppression. The only thing that he really seems to be a details guy on is voter suppression because he's very good at that. So on that front, I, that's really all I expect from uh, Brian Kemp and, and his campaign. Abrams had more ideas and articulated them much clearer than than Kemp did, and I really think that is the story of this debate, but... I don't really know how much of a difference it's going to make because again, both of these candidates just want completely different things for Georgia. And I think that's what people are going to make their decision based off of.
0: Well, what did you think about how credible Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp came off during that discussion on voting? They both seem to have their lines down about how Kemp says it's never been easier to vote and that the problem's were because of what Stacey Abrams New Georgia Project was doing in terms of how they filled out the forms. He, I don't understand the context here, but he kept passing off blame on the Obama Justice Department, talking about preclearance, which preclearance was a policy under the Voting Rights Act that got tossed out by the Supreme Court. So preclearance is not an issue in Georgia, and that's a problem. But that's, you know, he kept pivoting to it's Obama's fault, it's Abrams fault. And he did that after Abrams said that Brian Kemp always turns around to cast blame on somebody else. So I thought that was a misstep on his part. But did y'all find uh, either one of them more credible on this discussion around voting?
2: On the pre-clearance front, I that's the first I heard of that. I don't know if it's true, but let's assume it is just for the sake of this conversation. That is actually a decent defense because what the how how it used to work is if you made any change to how elections were administered in the state of Georgia, you had to get it cleared by the Justice Department, uh, and that is called pre-clearance. So by Brian Kemp hiding behind the fact that the Uh, Obama administration pre-cleared the, uh, I'm thinking it's the exact match name thing. Is that what he was talking about then, right?
0: Well, it had something to do with the exact match and the way that forms were filled out.
2: So with Brian Kemp saying that the Obama administration's Justice Department approved of the exact match criteria and by disqualifying people based on how forms were filled out that is a decent defense because that is saying that we sent this to a democratic leaning administration and they said it was okay for us to do that and very many uh processes like this would not receive pre-clearance so the fact that it does does help kemp that's for sure but it it is not a uh universal you know balm for his argument and it doesn't make him right automatically but it is a good defense just to give him some credit
0: well but the t- the timeline doesn't line up though right so shelby county versus holder was in 2013 and a lot of their friction on voting happened during the 2014 election when abrams was a part of new georgia project and pushing Minority voter registration. So, well, this is why I didn't really get the pre clearance idea.
2: Again, I don't know the exact timeline because it's the first time this has come up, but I think more likely than not, this policy was brought up for pre clearance before the ruling. And so, before pre clearance was made unconstitutional, Kemp's administration could have gotten that change pre clear.
1: Um, Kemp also sounded pretty credible on what he was saying, how It's never been easier to register to vote. Obviously, we know that there are some issues with that, but he is correct in the sense that, like, you can go online and fill out a form and it's easy to vote. Now, one of the things that he was completely leaving out of the conversation, especially when he was accusing the Abrams um, organization staff, uh, not her campaign organization, but the voter registration one, when he was accusing them of incorrectly filling out the paper ballots and they just could have gone online, not everyone has access to the internet, especially in rural rural Georgia. In fact, pushing for broadband is something that all three candidates have spoken on at least once. So that is kind of where he started to discredit himself to me. It's like it, everything kind of looks good and he sounds good saying it until you really start to think about like – But wait, having an online portal doesn't actually help. Some people really do have to use paper. And then if it's going to be that easy for somebody to just, like, misread a piece of paper or incorrectly fill it out or whatever, then we still have a problem. So that's where he starts to discredit himself.
0: I think that she brought back the key point, which is that if you're on the pending list, go try to vote. I I don't... think that the message about that being wrong that's gotten out is her fault i think that's primarily to be blamed on the national media that misinterpreted that story and made it sound like everybody could not vote um i mean i find her view that all of these hurdles are not i find her view that hurdles to voting are not always only meant to stop people from voting but to make it more difficult so that some people who aren't that motivated to vote, can be persuaded to not trying because of even a small hurdle. Um, and I, I think that that is also one that is uh, politically self-serving to her because she is trying to move occasional unreliable voters into voters into her camp. Um, so it's it's clear that she, it's clear why she views it that way. And I, and I find that credible. I don't know. I just, there's not anything to be done about our voting system between now and the next two weeks. And so I don't know what all of this conversation does when Kemp says, no, I'm not suppressing anybody's vote. And Abrams says, yes, you are. But there's going to be no change between now and election day.
1: Well, I think Abrams is making the only change that we can make, which is she is Calling out the fact that perception of not being able to vote or perception of it being hard to vote is going to keep some people from the polls, and so the more we talk about the fact that if you show up, you can vote even as provisional even even if it is provisional, even if you know there's a little bit of a challenge like we know we need to not focus on the challenge we need to get people focusing on the fact that they can show up to vote and so she's already starting that work she's already laying that foundation I really appreciated how. Um, she has started ha- how she talked about that during the debate, um, and called out the fact that a lot of it is perception. Those are my words, not hers, but that's been essentially what she was saying.
2: What, what I would add to this, too, is that this is going to be one of the few chances for Brian Kemp to be held accountable for how he's run the Secretary of State's office. And as I've s- said previously, the two crowning achievements of his time uh, there are incompetence and voter suppression. And so I think it's a very useful conversation because it, it highlights the way that Brian Kemp will be governor in the sense that. He turned the Secretary of State's office, which traditionally has been seen and John Barrow's campaign, is trying to return it back to being a nonpartisan office that basically just administers business licenses and runs elections. And it's super boring and nobody ever thinks about it. And many states have adopted that model. Uh, Brian Kemp chose instead to adopt the model of Chris Kobach and make it an incredibly partisan position that actively worked to advance the you know beliefs and the power of one political party. And... I think even if Brian Kemp wins this election, he should be held accountable for that decision, and I think it's an important conversation because it shows that as governor, he will probably do a very similar thing and seek policies that help Republicans and hurt Democrats because that was how he ran the Secretary of State's office, and there's no evidence that we have that he will pursue a different strategy as governor.
0: A story that emerged on the eve of the debate was that Stacey Abrams, as a college student, participated in a demonstration where she burned Georgia's state flag, which had a Confederate emblem on it. Uh, This happened in 1992, uh, and it was largely in response to the debate over what to do with the flag and uh, tensions over police brutality against Rodney King in Los Angeles, First, uh, I just want to give both of y'all a chance to react to that story, and then we'll talk about how it played in the debate. What did you um, think of this piece of information about Stacey Abrams emerging?
1: Burning a flag is free speech. So I I really wasn't that upset about it. I mean, not that I would be. I'm not a fan of the Confederacy by any means. So, you know, Confederate symbols on state emblems are, you know, not not very appropriate in my opinion so i can't say that i falter i can't say that i really had strong feelings about it i was just more like oh okay that's something she did in 1992 it's been 26 years fine whatever
2: uh i just want to note that she burned that flag three days after i was born Uh, that's just a personal Disclaimer, uh, but that I think that also shows us how far we've gone. We've come because uh, that would have been a big story back then. But I, I think this feels like a really, really crappy attempt at an October surprise. It's something that I think a lot of voger you know, I, I can't remember who it was. I saw someone on you know, Facebook the few times I'm actually there uh, was saying that, like, if if this upset this story of her burning this flag upset someone uh, then it is probably someone who already was not going to vote for her. And honestly, I've seen more people express support for her uh, from the story than uh, people express outrage.
0: Um. So she got asked about this at the debate, and she said she gave a similar response to her statement that she participated in a peaceful protest. The interesting thing was, I, kn- I know this was right around when the fire alarm went off, but Kemp never came back to this, he never hit her on this. And it was notable in all the press around this story that happened the night before the debate and the day of the debate, that Kemp never submitted comment to to any of the reporters that were writing about this. Do you think that Kemp sort of recognized that this may be a fight that he does not want to engage in?
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, that that was the whole point of my comment in the sense that just this issue has changed fundamentally, and people just do not fear uh, feel the same necessity for absolute reverence for the Confederacy anymore, uh, which I think is a very positive thing. And I, I just can't imagine many voters feeling super strongly about this. Because, uh, you know, it's not the 1960s anymore where flag burning was a real big issue uh, or even the 80s or 90s when Canada uh, suit had to face, uh you know, face criticism for actions they did in the 60s. And so I just I just don't think people care about it. And I think it's just the moral high ground is quite clear uh, in this situation that, you know, it's not burning the um, you know American flag. It's burning the Georgia state flag that was basically just the Confederate battle flag. And I think also another thing that uh, really hurts Kemp's ability to criticize her for this is the fact that he voted to change the change the flag.
1: Yeah, I think it was wise of him to just kind of stay out of it. Um, You know, I'm no big fan of Kemp, but I do think that that was a, a good decision on his part. And I appreciate it because that discussion would not have added to anything. It just would have added to the dumpster fire.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Kemp, had he tried to take advantage of this, would have found himself in position defending the Confederate flag while being accused of suppressing minority voters' attempts at voting. And um, I don't think that that's press that he wants. Um, I don't know that that's press any Republican wants, to be honest. What did y'all think about the discussion around rural Georgia? One of the journalists brought up... uh, the story of a plant in Telfair County that was closing and, and basically teed up sort of an open-ended question for the candidates about how they would do economic revitalization in Telfair County and in all across rural Georgia. Do you think that either candidate had a more credible response to what they would do for rural, the rural part of our state?
2: I think on this issue, it just goes back to the big picture again, that it's quite clear that Abrams has policy positions that are based off of research and what other states have done and what she thinks will be best for the state of Georgia based off of all that and Kemp doesn't because between the both of them one of the most important things that needs to be done is the expansion of Medicaid to prevent our rural hospitals from shutting down and at this point, I don't have much faith in Kemp's ability to pull off a program that will be successful in in that that doesn't involve the expansion of Medicaid. And since he is telling me that he won't do that, then I'm trusting him that he won't and uh, trusting that whatever solutions he come up, he can come up with uh, for rural Georgia will not be successful without that incredibly important element of health care.
0: Yeah, I thought this was actually one of the more telling answers to me about how both of these candidates are approaching this race. Stacey Abrams talked about Medicaid expansion in this response. She talked about uh, the issue of how to rebuild rural communities economically is not a chicken and egg problem. It's a horse and cart problem. And that the uh, horse has to become that the horse has to come before the cart and the horse is Medicaid expansion. And without it, you can't create sustainable economies on the back end without access to essentials like healthcare. Brian Kemp immediately turned around in his response to that question and just attacked her on her ideas. Um, I think that Brian Kemp's, uh, Position paper on rural issues is another one of these instances where he has like vague things that sound good that don't give any demonstration that he actually knows what he's talking about and knows how to get those policies into law and into practice. And um, I just found it surprising that, or I didn't find it surprising given the way that this race has gone. But I did find it surprising, given how important rural Georgia is to Brian Kemp winning this race, that I didn't come away from this debate feeling very confident that he would even implement a like, good conservative vision for economic development in rural Georgia. I just, I didn't come away with much beyond his attacks on Abrams.
1: So one of the things that I noted at the very end of the debate, Kemp said, that he wants to keep classrooms safe for our children. And this is a massive change from the, I'm going to point a gun at a teenager in my ad rhetoric. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that I think of immediately is, of course, guns in schools. Has Kemp spoken other than this one line and in this debate about what his plan is to actually keep kids safe in schools? Because I'm forgetting that if he has.
0: Yeah, he actually, this is um, among one of the more detailed proposals that he's put out. It 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 gets interesting in the spending context because it's $600 million in teacher raises and then another $90 million on school safety money. Um, but he wants to put additional counselors in schools to connect students to existing services like mental health services to try to catch any... Um, mental or emotional issues on the front end that might lead somebody to commit violence. And then he wants to give grants to every school in the state for things like metal detectors or security systems. Um, So he has a view on that. The interesting thing that I found about that is that his view is decidedly on let's do anything aside from place limits on accessing guns. Um, And so... You know, whether or not he has the money to do these things, I think that I think is the open question about any of his spending ideas, given that he has the spending cap looming over it. You know, I don't think the additional counselors are bad. I don't like the idea that we are hardening schools against shooters instead of addressing access to guns. But that is a different view and sort of a logically consistent view of something you could do. So, I think that this is actually one of the few areas where he's been a little more specific
1: thanks i had like I had totally forgotten about that aspect of those plans so thanks for the refresher.
2: This debate sucked. I hate everything about it <laughs> well i just i don't.
0: I've become very frustrated, this this reiterates a theme from the last episode, but I've become very frustrated about sort of the general tone and conversation around this race, that these are two candidates who have very starkly different views about what their vision for Georgia is, and we're not actually seeing this compare and contrast in this race, because Abrams will get out there and she'll talk about her ideas and... It all lines up with the 18 position papers that she's put out on these things. And then Kemp gets up there, and he doesn't actually attack the things that are in her plans. This was one of the most frustrating things on healthcare was that he hit her on a fake Medicare for all proposal that she wrote about in her book that is not her actual proposal for what she would do as governor. She is not going to try to do Medicare for all in the state of Georgia. It's just not going to happen. But he doesn't seem to understand that. And then he tries to scare people by saying uh, she's going to take away Medicare and Medicaid in exchange for single payer government health care, as if Medicare and Medicaid are not single payer government health care. Like he's just sort of throwing out attacks and not really creating a situation where we can debate ideas and see the differing visions that are offered. And Kyle, I think that's it's, the
2: goal. That's his goal. I know. That's well, what I know. he's trying I think, to do.
0: Because <laughs> I think it covers up that he doesn't have any ideas or any any vision for actually implementing his ideas. But it's just frustrating because these are two candidates at probably the furthest polls that we've had in a governor's race in a very long time. And You don't get that impression by watching these two tango with each other.
1: No, you don't. But I will say that next to some of the things that he said, um, Abrams did look incredibly well prepared and very credible and very polished, which is something that I said on one of our last podcast episodes that I wanted to see a more polished Abrams and I got it tonight. So kudos to Abrams and her campaign staff for prep. Because while, yeah, it was not a fun debate to watch, and in Luke's words it sucked um it she did she did represent herself well
0: well, and one element of that polish that I think stood out to me it this might have gotten overlooked in the general uh viewership of the debate was that there both candidates have proposed a health care idea. That has to do with this thing called 1332 waivers, that are basically just a modification of the Affordable Care Act. The Trump administration, a couple days ago, put out basically new instructions as it relates to these waivers, basically new considerations as to what the federal government will consider a good idea or a bad idea under this waiver issue that both candidates are interested in doing something with. Stacey Abrams was up to date on the details of this thing that happened just a couple of days ago, and hit Kemp on what he would do with these waivers that is tied to a vote that he took in the Senate like a decade ago. Basically, that healthcare plans under Brian Kemp would not cover pre-existing health conditions, because of this new waiver authority from the federal government that will allow him to do that, that what that did not exist a week ago. So, This was just another element. I know that's like way, way deep in the weeds, but this is just another example of how prepared she is and how on top of the details she is. And I don't know. I've said this like eight times, but I just don't see that same preparation from Brian.
1: I agree. And just as an aside, the 1332 waiver was also referred to as the innovation waiver during the debate. So if there's some confusion about that, there you
2: go. No way he cares, though. That's the thing. Nobody cares that Stacey Abrams is more prepared. I don't think anyone in Georgia is going to make their decision, unfortunately, based off that. Because I think they should. Um, it's it's really just coming down to getting getting each other's bases to to turn out. And I don't I don't know how we fix this problem in our politics. Uh, I think one of the things that we hit on a couple times tonight that I think would be a, a good place to start is there's a lack of real reporting in the state of Georgia, and that's part of the reason this show exists is to try to do all we can to make it a little bit better uh, but I think that's really why we have the confusion around the voter suppression story. And we have a lack of like Brian Kemp doesn't seem to think that he needs to be substantive. He thinks that he can run a a completely base-oriented campaign and get away with it, and for the most part, he has, because we don't see coverage uh, hitting Brian Kemp for not putting out as detailed proposals. We don't see him getting hit for the math not adding up on the proposals that he does bring out, and we don't see Abrams really getting credit for her math adding up. And I think that really is not uh, to say that the media and news is purposely ignoring that i think it's more of that they don't have the resources to report that in the way that needs to be reported
0: well people don't click on those stories either i mean i think that's the other issue is that there actually is some very rich reporting in the state um that i've you know i've had to read so much reporting just to be able to keep up with this show and so i don't know that it's so much as Reporters not having the resources or not doing the job as much as it is not, you know, there's a disconnect between, is this stuff even important? And do people believe that it's important? And I actually want to give Brian Kemp a little credit here, because I think what we've seen in recent political science research is that there is a rise in negative partisanship and so Brian Kemp may be doing his job by not putting out details by not talking about his plans and by instead highlighting all of the things that are terrible about Stacey Abrams and i think that he does that well he is very consistent about her government takeover of healthcare how she's going to raise your taxes um, how she's going to provide benefits to undocumented immigrants and not put Georgia first. Um, and that's what his base wants to hear. And so I think he is effective in that and I think it's going to drive his voters to the polls. And I don't think that it's Brian Kemp's responsibility to solve this problem, but I just don't know what is Brian Kemp going to run on for reelection if he wins this race? Because Governor Deal, has done a lot of very substantive things as governor, and some of them I agree with, and some of them I don't. But he actually turned out to be a governor who was pretty good on the details. And I just don't get any impression at all from Brian that he's going to be the same way.
1: Yeah, I guess he's hoping that if he gets elected, that something will come up in the next couple of years that he can base his reelection campaign on. That that could, That's the only thought that I really have about that.
0: I mean, I think it also means that uh, David Ralston is going to be running the show in Atlanta. I mean, this this governor's race is almost sort of anticlimactic, because I think the person who is actually going to drive policy into the Gold Dome is Speaker Ralston. So the other thing that kind of made this feel like a real mess to me was that candidate Q&A session where they asked each other questions. What did y'all think of that?
1: I That segment was so... Awkward. I can't even get over it. I just wanted it to end. It was so cringeworthy.
0: Yeah, I don't this, you know, the point of the segment from the candidate's point of view was to levy attacks against each other. And so it was very inconvenient for Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams to even have to engage with Ted Metz because they don't get anything out of attacking Ted Metz. And so they just asked questions to him that were meant to hammer their opponents. And then that created this weird thing where the person asking the question, ask the question, the person who's been assigned to answer the question gets to answer. And then the person who asked the question gets a rebuttal to the answerer's answer. But then because the only two candidates that have a chance to win in this race were invoked in every single question and answer and rebuttal and all of that, it became this mess of who gets to rebut who, based on what question. And Brian Kemp was very concerned that all of this go exactly by the book, by the rules, to the point of he was like trying to debate the rules with the moderator. And eventually, at one point, I think he sort of tried to raise, he's like, oh, well, I don't think those are actually the rules. And she just went on and was like, it's Stacey Abrams time now. (laughs) Like, the whole thing was a mess. Yeah, I think that the the candidate question is like interesting, but you only need like one of them because, you know, that they have structured their question to hit their opponent on something. Um, And so I don't that was like a big I don't know how long it was, but it was like you lost a little bit of time because of the fire drill. And then there was this big like 15 minute segment of candidate questions to each other. And then, and it felt like none of that had anything substantive to it. And then you get back to the real questions from the people who were paid to ask questions.
1: Right. Well, and I will say that Metz was at least an equal opportunist when it came to setting up Kemp and Abrams to say negative things about one another. So that was, that was at least entertaining.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't, I, I don't understand it as a matter of strategy for Ted Metz. I mean, I don't know if he's going to take a moral victory out of forcing a runoff in this thing. But uh, if he forces a runoff, that's like several more weeks of me not getting enough sleep and being grumpy. Um, And he is going to be the one that goes home because he is currently polling at 1.2 percent in the margin of error. He may not have any support.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I guess he does. He he has said that a vote for him is a protest vote. So maybe that is that is his goal to at least. Force it into a runoff to make people think harder about it. I'm, I'm not really sure, the whys on that, but I do, I do think that, either way, it helps him if people swing away from Abrams or away from Kemp, but not toward the other candidate and toward him. So that was like, it makes sense that he would set them up to talk badly about each other.
2: I don't know. I have nothing to say. I just, I, I I was sad because usually that's my favorite part of these debates. Like, and for for the other, hmm it is yeah
1: oh i found it to be painful
2: okay so yeah not this debate but like every other one i think it's a really powerful segment because it really does show both what the it it shows what both candidates are focused on because they have to ask the other candidate a question and how they ask a question what type of question they ask i think is actually very revealing of who they are and what type you know of campaign they're running and what issues they think are important. So and I've seen a lot of candidates use it really well and have it be a uh you know more positive thing. So I in general I really like the the segment. I was just sad to see that it was uh improperly executed uh tonight. And and I also think if it wasn't for Ted Metz, I think it would have gone a lot better. I think I think Ted Metz really just like broke, like it's, it's impressive how much he screwed up the rhythm of the debate.
1: That's fair. Well, we need to, we need to let Metz go back to bed, as you said. So (laughs) poor Metz.
0: I want to ask the, the dumb horse race question, but I want to frame it in the way that I think is most instructive to the stakes of this race. Um, if we all agree, and feel free to disagree, but if we all agree that this is a election about turning out your base um, and about speaking to the needs of the people in your camp and not creating some sort of bipartisan or a cross-ideological coalition, who do we think won the debate tonight?
2: On base turnout, then, unquestionably Brian Kemp. He told his supporters exactly what he thinks the stakes are and how serious uh, this election is and why he needs to be there by demagoguing Abrams. And I I think on that front, he was a more effective messenger to his base.
1: I'm inclined to agree. Unfortunately, I don't want to agree because every bit of me wants to say, oh, yeah, Abrams won it with flying colors. But I think Luke's right.
0: Why Why do y'all think Abrams was less skilled at turning out her base tonight?
1: I don't know that it's necessarily got to do with skill as much as just like some of the issues with her base in general, right? So a lot of her base are going to be those people that are affected by the voter suppression and those sorts of things or that are in areas that don't have the access um, to, for example, register to vote online, as we previously discussed. So if they can't register to vote online, then how are they going to watch this debate? So it's just a lot of it is not necessarily to do with her performance, but like this just wasn't a great platform for her. So that's part of it. But also I feel like she had to spend a lot more time defending herself from attacks from Kemp and from Mets. Um, and so she got a little bit less time to be able to say what she could do, which is always something that I want to hear more of from abrams,
2: yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not uh criticizing Abrams for her performance because Abrams needs to probably win some crossover voters uh to be successful in this election and you know repeat some of the gains that Hillary Clinton was able to make uh in suburbia, so on that front, I think abrams. Did a very good job. She obviously is uh, qualified, incredibly well spoken. Um, you know, it, it, and it's it's one thing to call someone polished, but she was polished and prepared. You know, it was it was both. Whereas Kemp very much came off as unpolished and potentially, you know, uh, prepared, depending on your point of view and the your viewpoint of the policies that he wants to pursue. So on that front, I mean, she she performed the way. In a way that you could be proud of her performance and not really that embarrassed with it in any way. Whereas if, if I was a Kemp supporter, I would be a little disappointed, even though I understood the strategy of it. Because of the fact he just pretty much went out of his way to not highlight real distinctions between him and Abrams and spent a lot of time just trying to demonize her.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, it has nothing to do with skill, and it has everything to do with just the way that debate played out. I think that she is highly skilled and very qualified and was incredibly prepared.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I felt that anybody won, I guess.
1: Well, then why they, do you ask might've... us if somebody won?
2: <laughs> well, they were playing different games, though, Kyle. I mean, that's why it's it's impossible to do it, because comparing apples and oranges. Abrams was trying to prove herself as a legitimate contender that knew what she was talking about, that is prepared to do the job, and Brian Kemp was trying to scare old white people. <clears throat> like, I, I mean, that's, that's what was going on. <laughs> Happy Halloween! Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think the whole... Uh... The whole last hour of this podcast that our listeners have been listening to comes down to what you just said, Luke. So <laughs> we could have saved you a lot of time by just, putting yeah, this put at it
2: the beginning. cold open, and then everyone will know the secrets of the universe.
1: Listening optional.
0: So we are two weeks away from election day. On the day of this debate, the polls have basically had this race tied. Five thirty-eight has this race as the closest governor's race in the country. Two weeks out, who do y'all think is going to win this race?
2: Why would you do that to me?
1: I was just about to ask the same thing. Why would you do this to us, Kyle?
2: Fuck you, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I say. Uh, Okay, so I'll say this. Um, This is currently the closest race on 538, and Brian Kemp has a slight edge. Independents and not undecided voters in Georgia tend to break for Republicans. That has been the trend basically since Republicans took over the state. That being said, this is a strange year with a very unpopular Republican president, and I, I think that makes a difference. That being said, if I had to put money down, I would put it on Kemp right now. But I think Abrams is still, if I wake up on November 7th, And I will, let's be honest, I'll be awake whenever it gets called. I would not be shocked if Abrams won. I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility, but I think Kemp's going to win.
0: You must have real insomnia if you're going to stay up until Fulton County's returns finally come in. (laughs) I agree. I think that Brian Kemp's strategy tonight is indicative of the fact that he thinks he is going to win. And I think the hard part about the way in which this race is structured is that it is hard for Stacey Abrams to get any hits in against Brian Kemp that he feels like he has to actually get defensive over. I think in the hits that he, the hits that she can get in against him, he's got well-practiced lines and it doesn't matter how much they are tethered to the truth, which I think is becoming increasingly clear in our politics. I just don't get the sense that any of the punches that Abrams lands on Kemp actually hurt him at all. And I feel like if this race was trending in a different direction, if Abrams was actually ahead, that you would be able to see it in the way that Kemp approaches this. And so my prediction two weeks out is that Kemp wins the race.
1: That unfortunately is also my prediction um, in my Typical role as the cynic and also as the realist. I agree with everything that both of you said. I don't really think there's much more to say. I think at this moment, Kemp will win this.
0: We're not really good at being the liberal fake news, are we?
1: Well, we're not supposed to be, are we? (laughs) No. If so, that's news to me. We started
2: this goal to cut the BS, not to create it.
0: That's what Republicans would probably say about us. Uh, well, <laughs> and after 45 minutes of savaging Brian Kemp, we all said he was going to win.
1: I don't know. I've taken plenty of hits at Abrams over the past several podcasts as well. So if they don't hear that, they're not listening.
2: Um, anything else on this? Voguing is going on in Georgia. You can still early vote. We have two more weeks of early voting. And Saturday, early votes in uh, some places still upcoming. And for my UGA audience, uh, next week there will be voting on campus. So if you haven't voted yet, please vote.
1: Definitely. And to further what Luke said, um, if you have problems with voting, um, there are representatives from the ACLU present um, as poll watchers. So go find one of them, let them know. They also have contact numbers that you can call. And we can throw that in the show notes as well. So if you have a problem at the polls, don't let it steer you away from voting. Please still vote. Please still do what you can.
0: And if you're a Democrat that uh, doesn't like how pessimistic we are about Stacey Abrams' chances, then uh, you can get out there and prove us wrong by going to vote.
1: Please prove us wrong. I've been right about my past outcome predictions. You know what? I'd like to be wrong on this one.
0: Um, and with that, we will leave that there and we will talk to y'all next week.
2: Bye, guys.
1: Bye, guys.
0: That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.